We're back with another episode of the Baggies Broadcast Summer Series, and today we've got a former Albion player in Nigel Quasi. Now, Joe, me and you spoke a while back, didn't we, about the, the nicest people we've ever met in football. I think I think Bernie McNally was on my top of my list. I can't remember who's top of yours. Um, but today's guest, he's got to, Dean Smith, he's got to be right up there. What a guy and what a podcast. Well, it was such a good hour we had with him um, recently, wasn't it? It was just fascinating to listen to him. Uh, uh, it was mate it was I love this because I'm always criticised for saying everyone's too nice apparently I'm too, I always bang on about how nice people are and now you have taken that baton and run with it it's basically every guest we have is the new nicest no no, no 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 behind, behind the scenes I'll, 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 t- I'll say what I think of people but I'm not <laughs> broadcast can I not that any of our guests I've said that about any of our guests by the way but, uh, no our guests have all been lovely yeah. um, and Nigel Quasi was um, yeah ridiculously lovely he is um yeah, he's just what you have to do. I think he is just a good egg, isn't he? I think that's like you have to swim up. He's just a very, very good... A lot of Albion fans agreed when we when we put it on Twitter as well. They said how much of a nice guy he was. So he's obviously got a very good reputation among the Baggies fan base. Um, well, he is absolutely lovely. There's no doubt about that. The work he's doing in the West Midlands of his academy um, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and yeah, his, his story is, is fascinating. I mean, his upbringing was tough. Um it really was tough, and he and he talks about that in the podcast. Um, some really, some, yeah, it was really really tough. Um, and then, yeah, he talks about his break in the game. QPR really was um, his big big breakthrough. A lot to do with Ray Wilkins, has to be said. Um, he was instrumental really in Nigel Quasi breaking into the game. And then some really fascinating stories along the way. Um, and then obviously talking about his time at Albion and also Albion in the present day because it's fair to say Nigel Quasi very much keeps up to date with all events at the Hawthorns but yeah what a remarkable guy he really is um, it was an absolute pleasure talking to him I've got to be sad um, I've got to say it was he, he was um, he really was a, a great interviewee um, yeah and another 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 brilliant podcast mate if I do say so myself I think we've had amazing guests amazing guests um, this season and I think everyone has been so listenable um, and there's no doubt about it this one is right up there again it's, it's a re- I really really think people will be sort of hanging on his every word it really was was fascinating I, I, won't, I won't give the details but there's a story in there about a former Albion manager who, who did something for Nigel not while he was at West Brom before that um, but it's a, it's a truly remarkable story uh, and just like we were saying he's, Nigel's got some great stories and he was a great guy he actually WhatsApped me the following day to say Thanks for our time the previous day on the podcast, as if like he was grateful that we'd asked him to come on the podcast. So that was thought that was a, a very nice touch. So I hope, I hope you enjoy the uh, enjoy the episode. As, as Joe said, chat about Albion, his current work, you know, much more as well. But on the whole, Joe, we're coming towards the end of the series now. We're going to have one more after this Nigel Quasi episode, and then potentially, potentially in, you know, quote marks, a a big bonus episode. But we'll have to wait and see on that. We're still trying to work on that one which might might not come off but we've, we'll have one more episode after this uh, but you enjoying it so far Joe what's your highlight been of this first Baggies Broadcast Summer Series yeah I can't I don't know mate highlight is a big big question putting you on the spot putting me on the spot yeah there's been um, well I've thoroughly enjoyed that um, to answer your first question um, but it is a guest that I've made that obviously um, they've all been amazing yeah I can't, what can you say I mean, they've, they've all been um, yeah so many highlights just just laughing along with them some of them I mean some of the stories have been amazing obviously Dan Ashworth listening to his whole time at Albion was absolutely fascinating um, Sam Field just absolutely lovely what a story what a boy so humble um, with everything that's sort of happened to him at Albion Paul Robinson I thought was absolutely hilarious Hilarious. He was good. He was good yeah. um, Nigel Quasi, just fascinating, really. Again, just I couldn't, just engrossed. Um, and Hal Robson Carney with the, very, very interesting on on the state of Albion, sort of behind the scenes um, on his when he left. So yeah, there's just been, yeah, loads really. I can't. They're all my highlights really. It's been. I think we've, hopefully, hopefully we've all sort of like learned something a little bit along the way, and I think it's been. Yeah, I hope, hope, hope people have enjoyed them anyway. If they've enjoyed them half as much as we've enjoyed making them, then all good, all good. All good, yeah, we're going to have to set the bar up. We're, we're planning on doing a little mini couple of episodes in the, the World Cup break at Christmas, so we'll have, to get our, we'll have to get our thinking caps on and get some uh, 
some more brilliant guests. But um, yes, they've been good so far. This one's great. The final episode will be great as well. But here you go. When the bag is broadcast, met Nigel Quasi. Nigel Quasi, welcome to the Baggies broadcast. How's it going? Yeah, thanks for having me. Now everything's great. Thank you for asking. I hope you are all well as well. Yeah, all good, all good. Well, you know, thanks for agreeing to come on, uh, Nigel. This is the latest episode of our sort of Baggies broadcast summer series. We've had a few ex-players on already, um, and we're going to get you on. We're going to talk about sort of different parts of your career. We're going to talk about sort of uh, Albion, how the last season's gone, really. How the well, the terrible last season's gone, really. Obviously, you still keep a keen eye on the baggies. Yeah. Uh, but we'll come on to that sort of later on in the in the show, really. So, Joe, you're going to sort of kick us off. We'll have like a sort of early part of Nigel's career. I'll, I'll hand over you for this bit. Uh, cheers, mate. Yeah, I think we'll start with your whole career, if that's all right, right at the beginning. Because I think there's sort of, even though this is an Albion podcast, there were moments when Albion were intertwined anyway in, in, before you joined the club. But... Let's just start right at the beginning. I think you were 12, is that right? You were at school, yeah, yeah. school game and, and the QPR spotted you then. Just talk us, to us about that. Yeah, I didn't like football at all. I wasn't really into it or anything like that. And I thought it was like a, just an after school, you know, get together, you know, stay out of trouble time. And um, it, it tended to be like a, you know, like a training session, like a football training session. And then the school teacher said, oh, I don't want to come and play in a game. And I was like, I'm... Yeah, I weren't sure. And then I went went and played in this game up at Crystal Palace where the playing fields were. And I played in a game and then this QPR scout just come up to me and just said, oh, um, did you play for a local team? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't play. And he just said, well, how about coming into QPR? And then I wasn't too sure. I didn't know too much about it. And then I started, you know, you know getting a little bit of research and everything like that and then I went into sort of grassroots then because I was a little bit apprehensive of going into an environment which was of the caliber of a professional football club mm. then I, I, I started playing grassroots a little bit and then I eventually went in and it was you know back in them days they had four centers where you have a main hub now you had one in London which was north south east and west and QPR coming from west London they had different centers so I had to go to the one in Elton, which was right next to Cheltenham's training ground up by Sparrows Lane. And, and it was on a sandy sort of tennis court kind of um, playing surface. And I was, you know, I went there once a week and, and then things just materialised from there, really. So if you if you didn't love football originally, when did, when did you start to love it? <laughs> when that guy approached me, really, I was very, I never forget. It was a guy called Mick Waldron. I'll never forget. And, um, you know, you know, I was a little bit in shock, really, because I didn't really take football serious. I've never taken it serious and I never sort of understood it. And then, um, you know, coming from South London as well, which was, you know, a difficult background for me. I think this was a way to sort of help me sort of realise that there is opportunities out there that coming from the background that I was from, which is guns and drugs and, you know, off the South London estate, Aylesbury estate near Peckham and Elephant Castle, it was... I was you know, learning how to survive at that age. So football was sort of like an outlet, I think. And I took a, I thought I'd just take it up just to sort of maybe keep me sort of on the straight and narrow because it was it's very difficult in a in a deprived area like that. But without people like that in South London, I wouldn't have um, understood the values of what it took to sort of come out of an area like that. So you just, you actually, did you actually sign anything at 12 then? Or was it just training initially or... Yeah, it was progress from there. Yeah, it was just training once a week, and I, and then from then onwards, I was playing in the pen down on the estate, and it was just concrete with holes, and you, you know, I, I thought right, I'll go and play in, in in the pen, and used to wake, I used to t- I used to think I had to work a little bit harder because, and then in the morning I'd have to sort of like be kicking balls around in the morning before I'd sort of walk walk to to school, get the bus, and and then just took 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 it up a little bit more seriously really I wasn't very keen on it but what an opportunity it was and I'll, I'll always be grateful for QPR to sort of handing me that chance to go and train once a week on a sandy surface and then I'd have holes in my knees and and stuff like that where I never knew what the the, the basic fundamentals of getting around a football pitch were but sliding on the old tennis court sands was uh it, it, if you mention that to kids now they'd be looking at you as if you're mad so was there a point? I mean, obviously you would start taking it seriously then, but was there a point when you thought, actually, I can, I can do this. I can actually, this can be my career. No, 
I never, because I was going, I was, I started playing for a team called Red Lion Boys and then I was playing grassroots and, I, and then as it started progressing, I didn't go straight to QPR, I, I sort of was getting into like the district team and then I got into a county team and then it was like, I, okay, I, I must be doing okay or things were sort of uh, coming towards me like in trials and stuff and I just basically just thought, well, keeping me off the street so I'll go and I'll go and do something that could occupy me but I was going through areas at that time to go to QPR where Stephen Lawrence had got killed and you know I had to hide on the back of buses with 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 mm-hmm. my it was pretty it was pretty um you know a difficult area to get through and never forget it's always the number 21 bus that will take me to Sidcut and I used to go through areas like that and obviously where Damiola got killed in the area I had to go through areas like that which basically you're trying to stay alive to you know there was a lot of racism as well back then and uh you're trying to deal with going through areas that were predominantly white and for black people it was unheard of to sort of go through those sort of areas so for me to get an education on life and how to deal with certain scenarios that might come my way you know I'll never forget my, my upbringing because it's educated me in terms of what's out there and how things work and I was quite lucky to go and play football. So once a week, hiding on the back of the 21 bus, going to play football. My mum, my mum wasn't able to sort of support me going. So at 12 years of age, I'm getting on a bus at that age to go to Sid Cup. So I was very, very um, a little bit streetwise, but a little bit of aware of what was out there and just trying to get to go and play some football. And it was a 45 minute journey. So getting home and getting through the front door was one of the best probably achievements I've ever had at that age. I can't. So you you actually hiding on buses, were you? What you you sort of ducked down behind seats or what? Yeah, yeah, down on on the back of seats. Yeah, at, at the back of if it was packed on the bottom because they were double deckers. So if it was packed yeah. on on the lower part, I had to go on the top part because the the conductor wouldn't allow you to stand because if it was going around corners and stuff like that. So I had to go up the top and sort of duck down and you know going through those sort of areas. It was it was really really tough in terms of I'm thinking is this worth going to play football for when I could be playing down in the pen? But I sort of stuck at it and wanted to come through it to sort of, you know, probably take that opportunity that was come away, but nothing was guaranteed. So I, I never really thought anything where this could materialise to. God, mate, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. No, it was the best education that I that I had at a young age because it sort of, it opened you up to, you know what's out there and now with what I'm doing now I try to sort of transfer that into explaining to kids that do have difficult backgrounds do 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 want to be able to do something that can occupy them and you know everything I'm doing now with my family is all geared to the things that I've gone through to pass on that experience how to take you know really you know want to go in a positive direction you did go in a positive direction. QPR obviously saw saw your talent and how hard you were working. How how did your debut come about? Who was the manager? What did they say to you at the time? Yeah, it was quite funny because I, I was with the first team in pre-season when I went full-time as a first-year scholar. And um, I was just training with the first team. And then I went to Plymouth to play a game, play the pre-season game. And I just thought it was making up the numbers. Then as I was playing in... Uh, the uh, the youth team at QPR was a first year scholarship, what they are now, which was the apprenticeship, which was the old £28.50 a week um, uh, apprenticeship scheme. And they give you a travel card, which was getting me from my home to training. And that and my travel card was the most expensive thing that I had. And I was that hungry sometimes. I wanted to eat that. So it was like, you know, it was it was uh, it was really good. But Going in full time was the transition in terms of training in the mornings compared to training once or twice a week leading up to that was was a great experience because I was still in South London, but I was still traveling to get to uh, Elephant Castle, then get the central, uh, the Bakerloo line to Oxford Circus changed then go to White City, do the kit, get all the kit ready, get the boots ready taken to the training ground and then I was playing in the youth team and you back then two players had to travel with the first team on an away game to do all the kit and help the kit man and that and mine happened to be Man United and (laughs) I was like wow yeah I'm I'm going to do the tees and everything on the bus and I was going to Old Trafford and then Ray Wilkins was my manager and I went to do the 
kit uh, the day before the game when we arrived, put the kit out, boots and everything, and I left earlier uh, on the next day of the day of the game and got there an hour about two hours before kickoff, making sure the boots and the kit was all laid out and everything was all in place. And then he named the team and I was in the team. And I, I was like, huh? what, what, what's going on here? And uh, yeah, I was in the team. That is crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty strange. But what a man he was because he had called my mum. He, he bought my mum a mobile telephone. So through the club, mm. he, he wanted to organise for my mum to come to the game. And um, but after the game, I wanted to call my mum and he got my mum a mobile telephone. And he said, oh, I'll call this number because I wanted to call my mum. Called my mum and he had organised for my mum to travel and everything. And she was at the game and I didn't even know. So when I went outside, she had said that Rad got her a mobile phone and the club helped towards a mobile phone. And, um, you know, I've been able to come to the game and watch your debut. So for him to organise and do the things that he's done for me in life, you know, I still speak to his son, Ross, as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, for, for him... Um, I will, I will always be grateful for what he's done for me and, and, and given me an opportunity in life along with a football club. Things like that you're never going to forget, are you? Ever, ever. Like, you know, I've got a, a tribute page to him on my, on my website for my academy just to see, what, you know, what, what, what he's done for me and I'll always be grateful for that. So, you know, people like that you, you don't meet often in life, but I'm very, very um, uh, privileged and lucky to meet a fantastic footballer, but a very, very special human being. Mm. How did you kick on from there then? How did you sort of become a, how did you build from there and get more games under your belt, become a regular? Yeah, I just, it's funny because I've always, I'd always been taught to have fun and enjoy life and, and really make the most of what you got. And I never had much growing up as a kid. So for this to have hit me so quickly, I still took it as just, you know, I'm I'm a kid, you know, I've got to enjoy my life, play for fun and, you know, and, or I'm being around an environment that was highly, you know, highly thought of in terms of West London, but in the Premier League, I was very, um, you know, I was in a, I was in a lucky position, but I still never took it as serious. It was just, you know, I'll never forget what Ray Wilkins said to me, go and play over the park like you were your mates. That's how it should be. You should never take this serious. Everyone's got opinions, but if you want to enjoy this game and play it, you've got to play it like, you, you know, all the things that you've had growing up as a kid to, to transfer that into your, your enjoyment of playing the game. So I, I, I carried on and really enjoyed my time, the staff, everybody at the club, uh, the support that I had. And then it got to a point where the club got into a bit of financial difficulty and like all clubs, the majority of clubs do when they come out of the Premier League and, you know, you've got balanced books and stuff. And mm. they wanted me uh, to sort of, I stayed a little bit longer and then they just said that we'd need to sell you. We need to we need to get some funds into balance books and wages and bits and pieces and with what QPR done for me I just said to the club that if there's anything that I can help with in me contributing going and that can balance out the club and give that a little bit give the infrastructure a little bit more to the youth as well to have more players come through I think it'll be good for me to to sort of go go and and, and we have always had a fantastic relationship and I still speak to everybody there. Amazing so you went from QPR to Forest. You had a yep. couple of years there. Then, yep. as you were about to leave Forest, I saw a link that you were—you actually first linked with Albion. Then, I don't know if it was ever close before you went to Portsmouth. Was there any any chance of you heading to the Hawthorns at that time? I think it was a Gary Megson, the manager at the time. Would have been, I, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Gary Megson at the time. There had a little bit of talks with my agent at that time, but the, the, my situation at Nottingham Forest was quite difficult because. I went there as a big signing at a young age, but I lost my son and I never, at 19 years of age, I wasn't able to deal with coming across it, like something like that at such a young age. And, you know, Forrest were good, were good to me and that, but the link between other clubs, I wasn't at a stage in my life that I really wanted to sort of, you know, move very quickly in terms of, I wasn't really playing and I wasn't training because of the situation I was in and, and um, I got a phone call from Tony Pulis and Tony Pulis asked me to come down to Portsmouth. Would I come down on the train and can I pick you up and have a chat with you? And I was thinking, where's this guy got my number from? And like, why does he want to have a chat with me? So I just, he just said, just come down and I want to have a chat. And I was like, OK, you know, this guy really wants to speak to me about something. So I travelled down to um, Eastleigh Airport on the train. We got a train station and he picked me up. 
and he was like thanks for coming all this way to to have a chat and I was, and I was thinking this is a long way to have a chat like what's he want to talk to <laughs> and he just said um I want to help you with your life and I was like what do you mean and he said listen I know everything that's happened and what you've been through and uh, I've got sports psychologists waiting in a, a hotel for you and um would you would you be happy to open up and speak to somebody in terms of what you've been through and I was thinking like why would somebody do this for me got to the hotel started speaking to this guy opened up and uh, Tony Pulis was waiting for me outside the hotel spoke to this guy and then I'd, I'd like he took me back to the um, airport and I felt a, a sense of relief and a weight off my shoulders in terms of you know I've gone I've lost my son at 19 this guy's called me organized this I got back on the train and thinking about a lot of things, whether I'm going to play again or not. And that kick-started me to want to play again. And if it wasn't for him, I probably I probably might not be here to even tell you this. And um, a lot of people don't know what he's done for me and what he's like as a person. And everybody sort of judges him on, oh, you know, maybe he's playing style, but what a human being, what a man, what a, what a gentleman, what a, what a real, in terms of man management, he, he he's up there, you know, with a lot of managers that I've had that I'm sure we'll talk about, but he was he was he was first class with me. And if it wasn't for him, he said, Come to Portsmouth, you're not gonna play in a sit we're, we're gonna don't worry about the system we're playing. You're gonna play on the left hand side and I'm thinking I don't play on the left. And he went, No, 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 no. Just go and play. Just play, 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 go and get the enjoyment back. Don't worry about you, you know, the system, don't worry about where you're playing. There's a bit of freedom, go and play. And and if it wasn't for him, I probably might not be playing football. And I was lucky enough. And that's another person in football who's been absolutely brilliant towards me. And that was that was genuinely out of the blue, was it? You hadn't had any relationship with Tony Pulis before? Never, then? never, never. Mm. And Nottingham Forest at the time were very responsive. They must have been very responsive to him in terms of me wanting to go down there because they wanted to help me get back on my feet. They were fantastic towards me in terms of that. And... I never got to sort of start my career there because I, I I started it, but then this came up with my son and then it really got to a point where I was in a real, real dark place at the time. And I, being 19, you don't, you don't know who to speak to, who to trust or how to open up. And he'd done that for me. So I've never, I'd never met him, never spoke to him and he'd gone out of his way to do that. Amazing. And then obviously you had five years there. Um, over, I don't know, it was close to 200 games. I mean, talk to us about those five years. I mean, you had some great successes down there, didn't you? Loved it. Loved every minute of it. It was great. The people were great. Um, I, I sort of got my football back together again and got a great response from the supporters and, and, and everybody in the community. And I was around good people, the staff, just like every football club, everybody that's associated with football clubs, fans, hardworking, um, you know, genuine, humble people. And I was lucky enough to be around people like that. And that made it easier for me to want to play my football. So, you know, when you when you look at things now, football wasn't as important to me as me getting my life back together. But mm. being in an environment that enabled me to do that was something that I'm, I'm very lucky to, to, to look back and think, wow, I've, I've managed to come through something. And it all adds up to where I am now in what I'm doing. So, yeah, it's, which I'm sure we'll speak about later. And just sort of finally on that stage of your career, if I saw right, you went obviously Harry Redknapp came into Portsmouth and then I think you followed him to Southampton, didn't you? How, how talk to us about that move because it's, it's a controversial one, isn't it? Controversial weren't the word because Portsmouth had offered me a contract. So, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to stay. I'm happy with that. And um, that was all agreed. But then Harry left and then a new manager called Zayic came in. Yeah, rings a bell, yeah. I never forget. I was on the. I was going to stay over at the hotel. Then we had a team meeting the night before, and I thought, yeah, I'm in the squad, like, so no problem. We had a team meeting and preparation for the game. And then the day of the game, we had the we had the pre-match, and then he'd sort of named the squad and named the bench, and I wasn't even in it. And I was thinking, like, what's going on? And then he pulled me to the side, and he just said that I've been instructed for you not to play. And I was like, but I want to play. I want to be involved. And if I'm on the bench, great. But I still want to support the boys and stuff. And he just said, no, I've been instructed. You're not going to play. Then the club made it aware to me that they wanted to sell me. And um, I was playing for Scotland at the time. And I thought, right, I knew that Glasgow Rangers at the time were, were, were interested in me. 
and I wanted to go on loan, but they didn't want to, um, Portsmouth didn't want a loan, they wanted a permanent. So it was, it was, I was, I was in a catch-22 really, because I said to the club, I'd rather go to Rangers on loan, see out the season, and then we can see where we are in the summer, and things might change in terms of going back in, going back into a new, uh, a new manager and everything like that. And they just, no, we want to sell you. And then um, they said, uh, they told the fans that I wanted to leave and I didn't because mm. I was happy on a new contract. And they said that I was going to Southampton. I was thinking, going to Southampton, they're down the road. Like I've not even spoken to Southampton. My agent's not spoken to Southampton. And I was sitting in the stand and like people were saying like, why are you going to Southampton? I didn't even know. And then they had sort of, been talking to Rupert Lowe and then Harry Redknapp had gone there Harry wanted me to go to Southampton and then that's how it all came about I went to Southampton but you know Southampton were unbelievable the people the way that they treated me from the minute I got into the club I thought I was going to be banging trouble and and they were brilliant brilliant but then the Portsmouth fans were throwing their arms up in the air (laughs) I mean filling up my car, getting to the traffic lights and people threatening to throw petrol over my car and set me yeah. on top of it. So it was, oh, like, it was like thinking, only if people knew the the, the truth. But, you, you know, I still speak to Sport Portsmouth. I still speak to the kit man at Portsmouth. I still speak to people at Southampton. And they're two fantastic football clubs. And every club that I've played for, I've always been lucky enough to play for them. And, you know, I'm grateful to every club that I've had great times with. So we'll move on, move on to Albion now. How, how, how did the move come about? Obviously, Brian Robson was in charge. How, how did you first hear of the interest? Yeah, I was, I was at Southampton and um, it was, I think it was going towards, it was in a transfer window and I, my agent had said to me, you know, would you be interested in going to West Brom? And, and I, I, I was like, yeah, I knew Brian Robson was the manager and then I was like, can I speak to the manager and see how he felt about me and what he sort of... Um, how he felt me being at the football club and he was brilliant first phone call I was like wow it's like Brian Robson that was like one of my like him Paul Winch Roy Keane yeah you know Ray Wilkins Glenn Odell they were the sort of people that you kind of looked up to when I was a kid and I started I'm like 12 13 thinking blimey these sort of players like and he, he called me and he just said listen you know I want you to come to the football club I want you to to, to be here you know him Nigel Pearson, Pearson and, and Shakespeare with it was his staff and he said it's a good environment it's a good family club the people are great and he, he said I want you to come here and, and be a part of a team that can that, you know that that needs a little bit more stability in the middle of the park and a little bit more fight with with all the group who are, who are great lads and I said yeah yeah no problem and because it was Brian Robson I was thinking I don't really want to be saying no to somebody like that and I never get the chance to speak to him again. And I was just, and I'll never forget, it was at Cholton that I did all the paperwork and we was going to Dubai um, for a pre-season tour. Well, it was like a, a break for the players and and then I made my debut against Blackburn. But from the minute I was there, I loved every minute of it because I was I, I met my, my partner, my son was born when I was at West Brom, you know, we sponsor the club with Boeing Zone, Soccer Zone, Inflatable Zone. I've got kids in the academy from my academy. I still do after in the speeches. I still get to meet up with a lot of the old players. You know, we go to the games. And I've been lucky enough to sit in the stand now and be around fantastic people. My son might get there a bit earlier. They're great with my son. If I don't go, the people are fantastic with him, laughing around with him. And it's just, it's... We re- I really enjoy going to watch games, but obviously now it's slightly busy watching my son and, and obviously with the facilities and stuff, but still sponsoring the clubs and, you know, it's, it's been great. And I've really enjoyed the connection and still enjoy even, you know, with the social media aspect aspects in speaking to people. And when I was playing, there wasn't enough of that. We didn't interact with the, with the fans a lot more. And I think they are what make football clubs. So why shouldn't we as players still give them the right to, interact with players that they don't get to do on a normal day-to-day basis so so when you join them when you when you sort of met new teammates for the first time who stood out who impressed you initially who did you become close with who did you just naturally gel with if you like yeah all of them great guys great there was great you know you walk into a change room but the band was good paul robinson jonathan green in you know kev campbell you know nathan everett and just 
Jono, just all the players. You, you know, it's a great. It's, when you go into the football club, you are apprehensive about how players respond to you. But mm-hmm. every single player, I couldn't put a bad word or finger to Sarandam, Zoltan, Gira. You, you know, they're just they were just all great guys that you'd want to be around and happy to go into a training ground knowing that you're training with them, not just on the training pitch, but the changing room, the you know, the cafeteria. And 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 what made that a lot more sort of happy sort of place to go to every day was the staff as well. You know, staffs and supporters are what make football clubs and you know, even, you know, duel at the stadium and just the whole environment was a, was a pleasure to be around and I felt at ease straight away. So the guys are just, and even now when I go in there now and see all the players, they're all, they're all good as gold. They're all, they're all, you know, there's a, there's a good sort of, um, you know, feeling and they're very welcoming and everything like that. And, you know, with kids in the academy that I've got there from mine, you know, they, they've always got nothing but great things to say about the players when they are, they get an opportunity to meet and when they are doing the coaching badges and stuff. Awesome, thank you, mate. I'll just hand you over to Johnny as he talks you through the next sort of 18 months or so, if that's all right. Yeah. Thanks very much, Nigel. Just just from there, obviously, you come into that team halfway through the season. You know, the previous season, Albion had stayed up on the last day. Yeah. Um, you know, what was the feeling when you went in there? Because Brian Robson had built a very good squad at that point. You know, what yeah. was the feeling around that sort of January? Was it a case of just sort of stabilising in the, in the Premier League at that point, I'm guessing? Yeah, the, the, the hardest thing in, prim, in the Premier League is... is, is the level of of football is 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 it's just on another scale, and and it was growing year by year by year. And as you see it now, you know the transformation in terms of teams and money and how teams are sort of, you know, progressing. To go in there and and experience a club that is based on sort of a family values and and the whole the whole sort of being around the whole place. You, you, you realise that being around good people, you, you, you want to do even better. And sometimes the Premier League don't allow you to do that because, you, you know, you, as you know, the, the, the standard and the way that it is as well. And sometimes it's it's that little bit of, you know, you, you're in a game and the players that we had were in a game and we're thinking we're comfortable in here. And then all of a sudden, bang, balls in your net. And then teams know how to shut up shop and it's always harder to get a, Get a, get a result, and even to try and get a draw in that division when you when you're behind is very very difficult. But then the, the atmosphere and the, and the way that he had built a culture in terms of the players was 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 a great place to be around. And you know, one thing I will say about those players is, is that they, they would never have that give up uh, mentality. They they always wanted to keep going, and the work ethic in training every day was great. And it was just. You know, sometimes results go for you, and sometimes don't. And sometimes it it hits you where it hurts. Sometimes. Yeah. Was there? Was obviously things started to slide, which obviously culminated in relegation. Um, was that? Was it a shock, really? Because, like we said, there were quality players on that side, and Alvin had built from what they they had the previous year. Yeah. yeah. To, 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 for me personally, with the players that we had, we always competed, and we was always in games. But it, like I said, it's just. The Premier League, you, you, you know, you, you compare it to now and it's it's just like some teams are in a game or we would be in a game and then all of a sudden they might get two goals out of nowhere and you think, where the hell have they got that from? And that is that is just the level that you're at. It's just every team in the Premier League is that, as, as players that can just be aware of how to turn a game when things ain't going against them and, and, and create a little bit of magic or have an influence on other players to play at their best and and sometimes you, you can't stop that yeah yeah and that and obviously that happened at the end of the season so Albion is sort of down into the into the championship can you remember much of that summer Nigel was it always a case that you were going to sort of stick around and and stay yeah. and try and help the club get back up yeah I, I, one thing that I wanted to do was was I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed my time there like like I said my son was when my son was born and um, my partner my whole Mrs. Family, they're all from around, you know, around the area, and um, you, you know everything was great, and I really enjoyed it. And then I, I felt that I was comfortable. I had another two years, and I wasn't I wasn't comfortable in the fact that I was in the championship because I wanted to play a part in getting the club back up. But the club had told me that West Ham was sort of, you know, that 
they will need to accept the money and that could contribute to um you know a little bit of financial money to help the club in, in stabilizing or contribute to players coming in and i didn't really want to go because of my family situation but then you know i was dealing with my mum at that time as well in terms of who had, who had cancer and i was traveling backwards a lot um uh, to you know help my mum and stuff like that and my family were, were up here you know, Kerry and Braden were, were very supportive in terms of that and I wanted to stay, but the club wanted me wanted to sell me. And, you know, I've always felt that football clubs are more important than players. Football clubs, if I've got the opportunity to help a football club and it means that I have to go and I help them, then that's fair enough. I can accept that. And that's something that I've always been like in terms of wanting to, you know, a lot of people said to me I should have played for bigger clubs and should have been a bit more selfish, but I've never been like that. I've always sort of thought about the overall picture in terms of how football clubs are and what they need. And I've never been about myself, even playing, I was never about myself. It was, I'd rather play bad and see players play well and they get all the sort of, <clears throat> you know, they get all the praise for it. But, and then the club wanted to sort of get the funds in for me to go to West Ham. And, you know, it was closer for me to be a little bit to my mum in terms of her getting over the cancer, which she did in the end. And then at West Ham, I got a bad ankle injury, similar to Dean Ashton. And um, I managed to come through it with the ankle injury and he did. And then I went on loan to a couple of clubs and, you know, I was still traveling uh, to London when I went on loan to Blues to get fit. They helped me get fit. I wasn't fit, but they helped me get fit. I was out for 16 months and I was being able to be with my family, but Blues were really good with me in terms of going to see my mum at Guy's Hospital and up and down and you, you know and at, at that time I, I sort of I lost my mum as well while I was you know on loan at uh, Blues and Wolves and I had a difficult time at West Ham and it was just off the field sort of um, situations like that, that that really sort of got a grip of me and, and sort of took me away from my football and trying to concentrate on things off the field. Yeah and just just jumping back to I think the start of that season, you played quite a few games at the start of that championship season, I'm right, thinking, Nigel, because Brian Robson was there for a while. You know, a couple of good results. I think I remember being wet, being Wolves 3 0, but then sort of Brian left. Was that a shock when, when, when Brian Robson sort of left the club? And I imagine he brought you in, so that was probably tough to, tough to take, I imagine. Yeah, it was because no one expected it really. No one really felt that we was in a situation where we couldn't achieve promotion again. But then for Brian to leave like that, you know, and like I said before about football clubs, you have to respect football clubs and the supporters and, and, and how football clubs want to try and move forward. Every football club wants to move forward. They don't want to take make decisions to take football clubs back. So you kind of respect it as a player. You have to try and get on with it and find a way of overcoming the, the, the disappointment of certain things that happen, but it's always to make a football club move forward. So... I wanted to be a part of that um, still, but then clubs make decisions. And like I said, you have to respect that. And that's decisions that are beneficial for football clubs. And that's why, you know, I've always been like that in terms of the respect for the club to to, to want to move forward. And Tony Mowbray came in after after Brian. Did you, did you play much under under Tony? Yeah, after I, played he came in? I played a few games underneath him. Yeah, I played a few games, but he was aware that West Ham wanted me. And he felt that it was probably, you know, a situation for me to go back to London in terms of my my mum's situation, and 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 that helped in a way because my mum overcome cancer, but then my mum got cancer, uh, it, it came back, and it sort of, you know, I was able to go and play a part in helping a fight it, but then we, we we cleared it, and then it came back, and it was a difficult time, and my mum passing away at West Ham, and I'm being injured as well, and then going on loan to Blues and travelling and to Wolves on loan, but I was able to try and juggle things in terms of Kerry and Braid and my mum, and trying to trying to get back fit, and, and I did get back fit, and I was quite lucky with terms of being able to sort of play again, but not to the level that I was used to, because my ankle wasn't the same as what it was, especially having three operations. And just in that, just finally on that little sort of section, you know, what was your relationship like with, with Tony Mowbray? Did you, did you enjoy them few months you sort of had under him at the club? Yeah, no problems at all. No, um, 
no problems at all. He just had made it clear to me that he's, you know, he's got to come into a football club and try to find solutions in terms of raising funds and contributing to wanting to buy certain players. And I told my hands up and say, well, if if that means that I've got to go to another club and that can help the club, then great. So as I got sold, then I was in the ballroom one time and I was in the lift with my missus. And as I've opened the lift, uh, Tony Mowbray was standing there with his missus and we just had a conversation <laughs> in terms of how you're doing, everything like that. So it was, you know, sometimes managers have certain opinions and certain ways of doing things and you have to, ex- and as players, you've got to accept that. But football club comes first, unfortunately, in my eyes and, and supporters and what's best for them is what what's best for the club. And if that means I don't be a part of it to see them move forward and them getting promoted like they did, then it all works out. Yeah, yeah. And just on them, you had a few of them loan spells. One was to Wolves. Obviously, yeah. you played for Portsmouth and Southampton. Wolves yeah. and West Brom. I, I did the, <laughs> what was the reception like for you? Over at Molyneux? No, no problems at all. Yeah. They, were, they, were, they were good as gold, but Mick McCarthy had made it clear to me that we've got a, a lot of young players and Blues and Wolves at that year, they both got promoted. So he made it clear to me that you wouldn't play much, but he was excellent in terms of, well, your family's up here, you can be with your family, but can you help me with the young players in terms of keeping them on the straight and narrow, giving them advice, encouraging them off the field? So everything that I learned as a footballer towards the end of my career I wasn't playing as much because of injuries and bits and pieces but it gave me a sense of how to deal with people how to sort of respond to people young players I was a young player myself so all of the things that I've learned in terms of going to blues getting fit how did they treat me and I've always responded to people that spoke to me right and treated me right and Mick McCarthy and the people at Blues and every club that I've been at, there, there's always been people there that have given me the the knowledge and experience to where I'm at now. And sort of from there, you know, a few other spells. And then I believe sort of the latter part of your career, you sort of played and sort of managed in, in Iceland of all places. Nigel, what sort of a experience was that like? Brilliant. Loved it. I, I went over there, Not wasn't really, I was more interested in, youth development and the youth system and they said well would you still play and I was thinking well my ankle's not very good I'll play some games and I'll help the young players but they gave me the reins to restructure the whole the whole football club in terms of youth development and bringing players through did really well in bringing young players through at the first club must have brought about nine through and they were playing in the first team because they were bringing loan players in from the top clubs but I sort of wanted to change it all and brought all the younger players through, did that. Then another club saw what I was capable of doing at that club, went in there, restructured their football club. And, you know, I put a boy in the first team at 14 and I'd, I'd, I'd show them a way of how to develop players. And the reason why I knew this was the way that I came through and the infrastructure of me growing up and learning and, and understanding what it took to get to certain levels and stuff and then I transferred that and did all my coaching spoke the language and went over there to 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 really sort of stamp my mark did that took the under 16s for training with an under 15s for a few sessions with the national team built up a great relationship with the KSI Football Federation and gave the two football clubs an infrastructure and how to develop players and now they've got a, a a program and a and a system in how to keep bringing players through. So I was I was lucky to build that and built up great relationships in the country and, and really sort of really did my coaching. And then obviously my boys playing and, and, and Kerry was sort of sort of said about, about coming back and I just thought it was the right thing to do and, and came back and wanted to give something back to the community in terms of, you know, coaching and giving kids opportunities but giving them the right guidance and 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 information that can help them go in a positive direction and then that's what brings on to just my last question for this section i I believe am i right i think you've got two companies Nigel. you've got soccer zone and is it ipda as well and what what do these companies do how how do they sort of work and what 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 is is the work that you do we've got we've got a seven acre facility in terms for my academy i was always looking for a facility for my academy and IPDA is my academy, which basically is Proving Players Development Academy. And I, and I named it that because it was about improving players and their development and but people and bringing people together from all different walks of life in, in different, you know, 
aspects or whatever their background was it didn't matter so with the academy you know we've had 20 players signed to pro clubs in five years so i've got players in in the west Brom academy Walthall, blues villa shrewsbury girls as well and it we give them a football kit and i was very adamant about making things very very sort of open for all different abilities because in iceland i coached disabilities I wanted to have players train with the kids that have disabilities so they could understand how they could help them, not in terms of football, but giving them a sort of an idea and an infrastructure of how to respond to people that that they're no different. You treat them exactly the same and loved every minute of that because it opened me up a lot more to, you know, responding to, to kids and how do you help other people that that wanted to play football and be in an environment that everybody wasn't treating anybody different so that's all here as well we're building a gym here classroom here physio department here we're going to have mental health here we have underprivileged kids here all different walking football and then we you know with that that's all with the facility outside the academy but it runs parallel with that and then we have the grassroots that train here um We've got one of we've got the sponsors as well that we sponsor West Brom with, which is Boeing Zone and Inflatable Zone, and I've got one in Stourbridge as well. We've got a wellness facility as well down the road, which has got all the things that you need on the wellness front: hot yoga, you know, pedicures, manicures, clinic, hairdressers, massages, you know, that for for everybody as well down there. And you know, I've, we, we, we're trying to build something in the community that gives everybody that opportunity to, 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 to feel good about themselves and, and come here and everybody's, nobody's different here, that's for sure. So I'm really, I don't miss playing. That's one thing I will, if you're going to ask me, do I miss playing? No, I don't. I enjoy what I'm doing now, helping the kids in the community, meeting people, being around people. And, and now, you know, I get to sort of, coach kids and try and give them opportunities they might not all be footballers but can i make them better people can i help them move in a positive direction and that's what i'm here for it sounds like you're doing some sensational work down there i'll just uh, i'll just pass you back to joe just to talk about sort of the modern day albion and yeah how, uh, how grim the last season's been really <laughs> well, well, well we'll talk about that. let's ask you one more about your academy if that's all right is it is it have you got different teams at different ages can anyone join how does it do yeah. you pick these players up how, how do you get involved yeah, it's online and basically I wanted it to be a training program for kids to get extra training and they have their grassroots team and they come here for extra training. But I'm building a massive pitch, I'm building a dome here and I'm building everything in terms of an environment and an infrastructure for kids to come and train. So later on down the line, we're going to be having tournaments here. I've got teams in Europe that want to come over and play. You know, all the relationships that I've built up when I was playing in terms of football clubs in this country and around Europe, they want to come here and play games and tournaments. So in the long run, it's going to be the main hub for my academy and it's going to be really, really, um, you know, beneficial to the community in terms of not just the football inside, but we've got the inflatable parks here. We've got laser tag here. We've got the trampoline park here. So it's more of it's going to be a complex in terms of having everything for all different backgrounds all different interests and everything like that but the off the field side as well in terms of mental health and trying to trying to give people that you know somewhere to go where they know that they're in an environment where nobody pays attention to where you've come from or what color you are anything like that so no my academy is just bringing these kids together but some of them have, have really gone on to to, to really improve like all the kids, but I wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for the parents and it wasn't for the kids. And like, like I said, now meeting people has really helped me and really given me that sort of base to be a part of the community. Because like I said earlier, I didn't think football has interacted with the community enough or with fans and stuff. And now I get to do that. And that's why I don't miss playing anymore. Amazing. You're going to have to keep us posted, mate, because you're doing so many good things. I don't think we've given you enough publicity, to be honest. So whenever there's a news line, let us know and we'll get down there and do a couple of stories. Well, never been about publicity or anything like that it's about me coming away from football now and being a part of a community which you know i played in a charity game and i've been involved with that sit for since 2016 for teenage cancer so now i get to be able to do things instead of being shut away from from 
that the community and now I, you know people coming up to me and they're talking they think oh yeah you, you, we didn't think you was like that and i'm like well why can't you talk to me i just like you know just i'm as normal as anybody else and you know i get all the footballers i get everybody that comes here and their families and stuff like that but they can feel themselves and they speak to people and they've been nothing but great to people in the community as well so it's given us that sort of trying to open things up a little bit more to let people get a little bit more of an insight into to okay i did play football but how about me as a person how about my family how about trying to bring people together a little bit more you're a proper midlander now aren't you yeah 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 <laughs> well as you can tell i haven't got the accent yet kerry's grandmother's one of the tipton twins so you know, <laughs> so the tipton twins are our family and um, yeah i understand it so I, I'm, not, I'm not doing too bad now so yeah, but they're really strong. Uh, Lil's accent now, obviously Doris as well, but passing away and, you know, it was unfortunate to lose her, but still she's as strong as ever. So, you know, Lil's keeping us um, keeping us going as well and keeping us smiling, that's for sure. And just talk to us about your boy. He's, he's playing football. Yeah. He's with Wales, is he? Yeah, he's at Wolves. He's, he's in the Wolves Academy there. So they've been fantastic with him. He's... Um, He's doing very well. He, he, he's he's enjoying it. Um, still works for us on a Sunday, though. Has to work for us on a Sunday. He has to, you know, he, he, he's a good kid. He's He's got his feet on the ground. And, you know, he was one of those that wanted to do some work as well. And, you know, he's got good values in terms of, OK, I might play football, but he, he wants to do certain things for us as a family. And, he, you know, Wolves Academy has been brilliant with him absolutely first class with him treat him right they treat all the kids right they've been um you know he's really enjoyed his football he's developed um he's developed as a human being he's developed as in in terms of coming through the teenage stages so they've been very um very good with all the kids from what i've seen i don't really get too much involved um i go and watch him play zip my jacket up and that's about it and let him play let him be a kid as long as he can have fun enjoy his life that's all i say to him just play mate but playing for Wales, he's played for the 16s a year above. He made his debut for the 18s in January, being 14. And, you, you know, you, I always say to him and I say to the kids and the parents, you don't know where this game's going to take them. Just let them play, let them enjoy it. Mm. Let them be kids because they are the kids. And, you know, when they're getting paid, that's when it gets a little bit more serious. So, but, you know, they might not get to that level. But as long as... I can help him and be his dad. That's the most important thing to me, be his dad. And, you know, they're his coaches. And all I've said to him is, just call me if he's misbehaving. Other than that, <laughs> your hands. If he's misbehaving, nah, I'm not having it. So, <laughs> so he's, 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 he's got his feet on the ground. He's away at the moment, so he's um, he, he wasn't working yesterday, so he's got off lightly. Is he a midfielder? He can he can play in midfield, but he plays at centre back. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. centre back. So yeah, he, he, he's all right. He, he, I sort of say to him sometimes, "You're lucky I'm not playing against you, mate." So <laughs> saying that, like I said I'm his dad, and that's all that matters, really. Um, I just ask you about Albion last season, if that's all right. Just your general sort of opinion on it. Obviously, started with Valerian Ishmael in charge, cost two million pounds to get him from Barnsley. What did you make of that appointment at the time, and sort of the months that followed? Well, I think it was one of the, I've never really seen West Brom wanting to pay for a man coming to a football club. So I, I, I was I was pretty shocked by that. But then, you know, as a, as a you know as an ex-player and as being still associated with a club, you always want the club to do well, and you always want a manager to come in and do well and hit the ground running. And I thought he did do that. And then I, I think the the style of football was I, I sort of mentioned a few times that it was going to it was probably going to take its toll on a lot of players because of the intensity levels and then getting a few injuries and bits and pieces like, like that. And then it, them sort of things started to creep in and then, you know, you lose, you know, the players were, were sort of, you know, there were some, some games where they weren't playing very, very well and, you know, but then things started to creep out of changing rooms and, you know, into the press and people falling out with managers. And sometimes you, you, you look at it and you, and you think that, that shouldn't be happening. So there was a little bit of unrest from what I was reading and from what I was hearing and obviously being told. But, you know, one thing you still got to do as a player is you've still got to give 110%. You've still got to, 
if you don't get on with a manager, you still got to do it for the supporters, the football club. You've got to do it for yourself and your family. And 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 I don't know whether there's a time where he had sort of lost that and lost that sort of motivation in terms of getting the best out of the players. And you know that that sometimes they, that will always outweigh tactics and formations, man management. What do you make of the appointment of Steve Bruce, both in terms of how the sort of the six months, five months, whatever he had last season, and in terms of going forward next season? Yeah, I think I think him coming into the football club at a different time, a different stage in terms of where the club was at was all was is something that he needs to sort of really stamp his feet on what's going on. Um, I think they've played some good football. I think they've they've got better. Um, it's just trying to find that right balance now, whether players are going, staying, what the the whole infrastructure of the club is, what how he sees it, how the board see it, and I think if he can. You know, he's been known for getting teams promoted. So I think at this moment in time, I think it, it, it's a good fit, but it just all depends on where the club's going to be at come the summer in terms of players and what the budget is and what the financial package is in terms of the parachute money being not getting promoted um, to the Premier League again. And obviously, I think that gets cut in half again in terms yeah. of first payment. So I think it's all going to boil down to decisions on players, youth, um, and having the right sort of balance between the youth and the older players and, and, and the players that might come in and, and are on loan. So it's always a tricky time, but get it right. And it's a club that that, that can really push on. Um, it's just how long will that take? Hopefully it doesn't take too long, but hopefully, you know, I know Stephen Clements very well. and He's a great coach and I grew up with him playing for England as a young boy and you know that he's been very successful with Steve in terms of getting the best out of players. So, you know, one thing I will do is wish him and Steve the best of luck because he has been known to get the best out of some clubs, and and that's something that hopefully West Brom will, will get the benefit of and the reward. How close do you think they are to competing for promotion next season? Because I think we were all shocked, weren't we, to see them end up tenth in the championship. Yeah. We were all expecting them to compete last season. So that mid-table finish, it took us all by surprise, if, if we're being honest. Took me by surprise. I was very, I was very shocked in terms of how they tended to sort of come down the league a little bit. And with the players that they had, it's probably one of the best squads in the league. With this season, with the teams coming down, they're always going to have, they're always going to be, you, you know, there there might be a little bit of a disadvantage in terms of the first payment of the parachutes for the clubs that are coming down, and that gives them that little bit of a push in terms of trying to get back up. And Norwich are known for doing that. So I just think that being around the top six would be an ideal scenario and anything from there would be more of a sort of looking upwards in terms of looking downwards as what they was going from being at the top of the division and looking down and then slowly coming down. So I think having having that sort of um, stability that little bit more of direction in terms of where the club's going in terms of players and 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 the manager and and the youth system because it's a fantastic youth system it's always produced players mm. uh, i would say the top 6 as we stand but i still think that there should be more than enough to to to, to push on i don't know if the top 2 will be a certainty with the clubs that have come down because of the financial what we were talking about in terms of the parachute money because that will play a massive part I think but mm. I just more than enough to be involved in the mix to get back up I've really you, see that, you see that with this group of players this group of players are good enough to do that aren't they I mean John Swift's come in he's going to be yeah. a big addition you like to think we know they want a couple more but these players are surely good enough aren't they to do that and they compete with the top six next season 100% I think one thing that stands out in the championship is every club that's got promoted has always played with a good attacking number 10. You know, mm. Pereira at that time, every club that gets promoted, you look at, you know, Aston Villa and teams like that and all the teams that have gone up, they've always had a creative player in the middle of the park as a number 10 stroke eight who can get goals that is really contributing in clubs going up and, and uh, creating assists. So I hope John Swift comes in and does really well because... You know, he's come from a, a, a good upbringing in Chelsea. He's obviously gone to, to Reading and played really well. And every time I've seen him, I've been impressed with him. He's, his energy level's good. He gets around the park well. And I just think with that little bit of stability in the middle of the park, it will give him the licence to go and sort of create a little bit more. So 
I just think we believe in them as as, as ex-players and users, supporters as well, and the club and, and and the people that I speak to. It's up to the players to believe in themselves a little bit more and give give everybody that that sort of that feel of really having a go at it this year. Awesome, mate. Thank you very much. We've just got a couple of quick fire questions, if that's all right. Um, Johnny likes we do this with every guest at the end, so they're very, they're only like very, very quick. I promise, because we kept you for a long time. I appreciate that. Um, I'll just, Johnny, Johnny's going to go first, I think. Yeah, I'll just sort of kick off. Sort of just a few quick fire questions and a little game we play with the guests at the end. So, um, it, when you're at your time, Albion, who was who was the best player you played alongside? Oh, I'll tell you what, that's horrible. That is. <laughs> Jason Kumas was good. Dalton Gira, Jonathan Greening. Yeah, Kamara. Awful question. You could have, you could pick your <laughs> out of those. That's terrible. That is. You, you're supposed to be nice to me on this podcast. <laughs> well, you're we'll too let you nice for we'll these questions. Definitely, well, you are yeah. definitely too nice for these questions. You're gonna hate the next question. We'll <laughs> let you. Off, we'll, we'll let you off with four answers on that one. But Joe, you, have you got the next one? Well, I don't think you're gonna hate this one even more. But who, who, who was your best manager? I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm going to go with Ray, Ray Wilkins in terms of what he'd done for me on a personal level. Um, yeah, but I would say, yeah, the ones that we've mentioned about in terms of Ray Wilkins and Tony Pulis and Harry Redknapp, sort of people's people, uh, people that could manage people. You know, I've always learned that, you, you know, you don't coach a sport, you coach people to play a sport. And, they were they were instrumental in terms of being able to adapt to different personalities and characteristics and get the best out of people. So, yeah, I'd say the best managers, not not the one manager, the best managers are the ones that can um, the man managers ones. Yeah, yeah. And just during your time at Albion, did you have a lot of sort of a best mate or someone you're really close with in the dressing room? Yeah, Kev Campbell. Um, I was close with him. I still speak to him now. Um, who else? Jonathan Greening, Paul Robinson. Um, I did a thing with Jono the other the other day at, at the ground in terms of a game and stuff like that with with uh, ex players and stuff. So yeah, it's just uh, I, I still you know when I still see players and stuff like that, I see Des Little, I've, I've seen uh, Peter Odewinge. I didn't play with him, but he was at a, um, he was at an after after dinner thing as well, which I'd spoke I'd spoken to him and. I've still managed to sort of see people. Some of them still come to the facilities in terms of their kids and stuff like that. So, no, I was um, I was lucky enough to be around good people and a good good football club that was very very genuine in terms of being in the family atmosphere, and I really really enjoyed it. What was your funniest moment at Albion? Funniest moment in at Albion? Uh, something to do with a fire extinguisher. Do you remember that one? No, can't say we do. You might have to elaborate on that. No, you're going to elaborate. Yeah, you have to tell us. Played with a fire extinguisher in in the lift, and they managed to get. I won't say it was, but they managed to get a a, a couple that was standing in the lift. So a couple of players were in the fire extinguisher. And they let the fire extinguisher off. <laughs> they didn't know there was a couple in there. So they got the couple as well. So yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a funny one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I won't say who it was though. It was definitely Jonathan Green then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you must have heard about it then. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. It's just or Jono or Jono. I don't know. I can't remember. What? I don't know. It was yeah. yeah. Was Basically, it... if anyone tells a funny story about Albion during that time, all roads lead to Jonathan Green, and it seems to be. Oh, they <laughs> well away from him. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Jono, Paul Robinson, Andy Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Allsfield. Yeah, there was a few of them. I tell you. <laughs> nah, but great experience. Great people. Not just that, on and off the field as well with the football club, and still to this day having a connection with you all is 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 something I'm extremely proud of, and thank you very much for everything that you've managed to give me in life, which is a which is which is an experience to play for a fantastic football club. So, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll always be extremely grateful. And just finally, what was your sort of when you look back at your time at Albion? What is there any memories that stick out, sort of um, when you were at the club? Yeah. Um, I was, I've managed to meet and have a family that has really sort of contributed to me being able to be who I want to be. But that wouldn't have been possible if I wouldn't have come to West Brom. And West Brom gave me a platform to enjoy my football and and, and, and play for a, a fantastic football club. But then I got to meet people in terms of 
off the field and on the field but I managed to have a family and, and a family that to this day have, have been nothing but given me the best support in terms of what I'm doing now and 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 that wouldn't have been possible and for them to still be able to go to games sometimes and be greeted and be treated with the utmost respect even sitting in the stand is something that I really really do appreciate and really grateful for to be able to sit there knowing that I'm in a really positive environment with positive people around us so even though I was grateful to, to play football just to meet good people is something that you you don't forget and and, then it, and that's what's given me a life to where I'm at now so um yeah that that that's that's a really really strong memory because it's given me my backbone and given me my directions in life now so without that and West Brom I don't think any of that would have been possible yeah and just just finally we have a sort of a five-a-side game we play at the end of our podcast that we've done this summer yeah. so uh, hypothetically you're the manager of a, of a team you're going into a little five-a-side tournament but you can only select your team from players that you played with at West Brom yeah um, so you can play whatever formation you want in, in your five-a-side team and then two subs as well so I'm going to ask you sort of goalkeeper four players and two subs from the players that you played with during your spell at Albion I'll go Paul Robinson because he'll smash everybody in there that's He'll, he'll play at the back. I'll have Russell Holt in goal. I will go... I'm not going to pick myself in this. I'm, I'll just be the manager, obviously. Manager. I will go Zoltan Gira, Jonathan Greening, and I will probably go with Kev Phillips. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got, you've got two subs, two little super subs you can bring on, sort of chuck on in the last few minutes, try and win you the game. Who are you going to choose? Uh, I will go with Jason Kumas, and I will go with. Ooh, I'll tell you, I'm going to have Kev Campbell because he was a great teammate, and he'd be good for the lads as well. Yeah, yeah lads. We've yeah. had some good sides, but that that one's going to be up there certainly. Yeah, um, but. Thank you very much for your time, Nigel. We really appreciate it. It's been a fascinating story. Listen to your sort of journey yeah. through your career and, and how you're still so sort of well thought of at Albion as well. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks for coming on the Baggies broadcast. No, no, thanks very much for having me. And if there's anything I can help you guys with in the future, you're more than welcome. And thanks for everything. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're a top man, mate. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care, gentlemen. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.